Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. Well, Merry Christmas. We're here today to worship our Lord and uh, thank you for worship team and thank you for the students that played today, a feast for the years, but the lyrics, the truths there proclaimed, uh, we, we do praise our God and worship him for his wonderful sacrifice, his wonderful love. Uh, we as a church over the years have seen many people come through the doors uh, from our valley from different churches. Uh, there's been uh, over, the, over the last couple decades, uh, people move into living water for a season, and some stay, some go. But the, the interesting part about it is a lot of people that come to our church, they've come from broken churches. Uh, they come from settings where there's been division in the church. They come from settings or, or scenarios where they've been hurt. They've, be, they've come from uh, places where there's been a church split or, or ugly things have happened. And I don't know what it is about living water. Uh, for the last 20, 30 years, we've been a place of peace been a place of refuge, a place of safety, security for people. We've been uh, blessed by the grace of God, by the, by the saints' uh, actions and behaviors and ways of living. We've been blessed to see an absence of, of division, strife. You know, that song, let uh, quarrels and strife and uh, cease, the, those kind of things. It, it's been the case here, and it's been beautiful and wonderful, and praise God for it. I, lo- I love my church. I, I love our church. I love our family. And uh, to have a family of God, to have a peace of God, to have a place of, of uh, communion and community with people and with our Lord, it's, it's tremendous and awesome. Uh, but in the world, the big picture of the world, all the strife and you know, quarrels and hatreds and evils. Uh, sometimes that takes place on local levels and, 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 and within families and, and divisions, even within churches. And so the, the scripture we come into today, the, the teaching that, that the Apostle Paul brings us, it's really raising the question of how do we become that, that close church? You know, the, the, this, this microcosm of the kingdom of God, the, the local church is such a beautiful thing, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the family of God. It's meant to be a place of, of love. Uh, meant to be a place of communion, meant to be a place of, of family that are taking care of one another in, in one, in unity. And so the Apostle Paul raises the question, how do we become a church that is loving, representing our Lord, the Trinitarian love that's found in heaven, that overflow of that, how does that come into our, our body? How do we be close, united, loving church? Uh, and, and of course, uh, Paul goes and teaches us about the coming of Jesus as our example, and as our way forward. So please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is our text today. We're going to go through verse 13. Uh, It's an intense text, uh, many layers, and uh, as the Apostle Paul often uh, teaches uh, and writes, it's very dense and condensed. Uh, So I I certainly won't be able to touch all of it, but uh, may the word of the Lord be heard, and may the word of the Lord be followed. By, our, by, our, by the saints and the brethren here today. 
Uh, Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. May God bless the reading of his holy word. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to, your own, to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now only in my, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <clears throat> so the Apostle Paul, one of the things in his heart is in the, the, in the place he's writing to, Philippi, there's persecution going on. There's false teachers that are uh, entering the place as well. Persecution from the outside, but false, te false teachers from the inside. False doctrine, tearing the church apart. But uh, in this section, he's uh, addressing the problem within the church. There's divisions. There's strife. There's people not treating each other well. There's brethren, the family of God that are at odds with one another. And he's calling them to be Christ-like in their behaviors, in their actions, in their ways of living. And so he starts off in verse 2. It's, it, the whole passage really runs from verse, chapter 1, verse 27, all the way through verse 18, chapter 2. But uh, we don't have time to hit all that. But if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, Again, so if there's any encouragement in Christ. Uh, and so the, the way to look at this, he, the, the, the suggestions, if there's any encouragement in Christ, really what it means is since you've been encouraged in Christ, since you got uh, comfort from love, it's, a, it's something that all Christians have received. If they're born again in Christ, they, they've been comforted. They've been encouraged. If you have any participation in the Spirit, any fellowship of the Spirit, we've had the fellowship of the Spirit in our lives and in the corporate church, any affection and sympathy. Uh, so he's saying, these are the things that God has brought upon you. This is the way God has treated you. This is the, thing, the things that God has blessed you with. This, uh, this encouragement, this love, this fellowship, this affection, this understanding of the things you're going through. Not just empathy, but sympathy. He says in verse 2, complete my joy and so the Paul, and you know, joy, that's the theme of the day. Thank you, joy, for lighting the candle. Uh, joy, joy, joy. The book of Philippians, full of joy. 
He's so joyful over the church, so joyful over the things they're accomplishing, so joyful over their uh, being on mission and serving the Lord and loving the, the, the brethren. He says, make my joy complete now by being the people of God, by treating one another the way that God has treated you. And he says it in kind of highfalutin language. Um, being of the same mind. Uh, same mind like believing the same truths, so holding on to the, the, the doctrinal truths. I think that's what it's talking about. A, a one mind there. Having the same love uh, as God has loved you. Love one another. Uh, that's sometimes rare, even in churches. The sacrificial, self-giving, self-emptying, uh, self, uh, seeking the benefit of others kind of love, sometimes it doesn't happen. Paul's saying in this midst of this, this church in Philippi that maybe some strife and some division, some quarreling. Man, live godly, godly lives by loving one another as God has loved you. Uh, being in full accord, some of your translations say, in, in of one accord. Uh, taking care of one another, uh, being, being united in your, in your work. And of one mind, uh, having the same purpose, I guess one, one of the translations said. He's calling them to unity. He's calling us, them to togetherness. He's calling them to be one body, to live out the faith. Uh, and the purpose of this, much of this letter is um, the gospel's being limited. The gospel message is not going forth. The gospel message is... is uh, maybe being truncated in some way, not by him. You know, he's, he's in jail, and, and he's like praising God. I, I'm so thankful that I'm here in jail, and the whole palace guard has heard the gospel. You know, he's, he's so excited about the gospel going forth and people being saved, lives being transformed. And, but he's seen the persecution from the outside. He's, he's seen some of the false teachers from the inside, and he's seen this division. And he says, that's hindering the gospel. Stop it. Live differently. Live as you should. And, and so he, he moves into verse 3. And he tells us uh, in, in some partial way how to live <clears throat> by, avoiding, by doing what you shouldn't, by avoiding what you shouldn't do. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition or conceit. Uh, vain glory, you know, making yourself more important than others leads to selfish ambition. Conceit, I'm full of myself, I'm prideful, I'm, it's all about me, it's, uh, I, I'm better than others. That conceit is sometimes found even in Christians. You know, when people gather themselves a hearing, when they make them much of themselves, not, not in humility, uh, but they're, they're trying to build themselves up, get ego boosts, get, get people to respect them and honor them, it leads to sometimes selfish ambition, um, which tears the church apart. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, which is a, an amazing statement. Uh, people that are not in Jesus Christ would not understand that statement at all. Uh, some translations say, count others better than yourselves. And that seems so foreign and so strange in this world where it's all about, hey, Jeron, here's another trophy for showing up. Here's, here's another applause because you're so good. You know, you're the best. You know, respect yourself, love yourself, put yourself on the highest level. And, and the, Paul's saying, man, consider others more significant than yourselves. It doesn't mean that I'm a loser and they're winners. It doesn't mean that God loves uh, you more than he loves me, the, these kind of things. It doesn't mean that uh, you know, somehow you're on a higher level. It's uh, rather, I think that the, maybe the term would be, consider uh, rather than lifting yourself up, 
think about others as and their needs, their 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 their, their interests, their their heart, their their passions, their 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 way of living. Um, consider them as more important. Um, it's, it's a radical statement, uh, but it's sometimes not practiced. Sometimes uh, I, in, in the body of Christ, I, I go to ministries and may, maybe, you, maybe you serve in ministries and it's about your glory. It's about you having your reputation or you being honored, you being praised in some fashion, in some way. Uh, and, and he's turning it around. What about others? Man, this, this whole passage is about others. What about others? What about their interests, their needs? What, what about loving them? First and foremost, it's a radical way to live. But it's, the, it's the gospel way to live. A gospel-centered life means that God, right, he, he loved us in such a way. He gave himself in such a way. He gave himself up for us. He, he served us in such radical ways. How could we then put ourselves first? It's kind of like um, the, the idea of, well, how could I forgive him for doing that in terms of forgiveness? The, sometimes we talk about, man, she did such an evil thing. How can I forgive her? And, and then the, the gospel says, well, God forgave you. God forgave you a hundred million dollars, so to speak. And can't you forgive someone a thousand dollars? You know, the same kind of principle. How can I serve others? How can I uh, bless others? How can I see, see others as, as more important and, and, and help them and their needs? Well, hasn't God done that for you in such a great fashion? And so, so the way of life that's being promoted here is another focused, others focused life. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And so it's uh, uh, sometimes in, in marriage counseling, we talk about when people are at odds, some of the strife and divisions that come about. Um, and over time, people get hardened and they get protective and they, and they, they, they stop serving the other. They stop looking at others' interests. They, they're protecting themselves. I've got to get what's mine. And as both people have that heart, you know, the marriage moves farther apart and it's hardened, right? But again, in marriage counseling, we talk about if you are giving of yourself, if you're serving the other freely, sacrificially, and the other person does that as well, both people are others-focused in marriage or in relationships or even at work, if I'm serving others, if I'm thinking of their interests first, imagine what could happen in a marriage or what could happen in a business or what could happen in a church if I'm concerned about you and your needs more than I am about myself. But you're concerned about me and you're loving me and taking care of my wife and my kids. Imagine if we had a church that was others-focused. And Paul says, I want you to be that church. I want you to be that people that God has brought together sovereignly as one body. He's brought you together to be a part of this communion but with this family of God. You've come from that place or that place. You've come hurt. You've come um, from a place of brokenness, perhaps. Maybe a place of sin. A place of living in evil ways. But now change. Um, receive the grace of God and now live as a grace-giving people. A, a loving, serving People, uh, the, a, key, a key term in here is humility. And that's, uh, that's a key term as, as he turns to the major example that he wants to bring forth to the people of Jesus. He brings Jesus to the people of Jesus. And he says, live as Jesus lived. Love as Jesus loved. 
how do you have a great church? How do you have a, a loving church? How do you, you know, people get in, in conflict over certain things and their pride, their arrogance, their conceit doesn't let them forgive one another. They, they get angry at one another and they hold grudges. You know, sometimes in small towns, you know, the different business owners or the contractors, there's been some money issues, some division that's gone on, and they don't forgive one another. They, they, they stop relating to one another, and it hurts our town. Imagine in a, in a church or imagine in a family, you hold grudges and you don't forgive. Imagine if you stop serving the other, and that other stops serving you, not in the church. He says, church... And, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, illustrations here about what's going on, but in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, we get a little taste. I entreat Udaya and Syncrete to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so these, these women have labored in the church. They've been fellow workers in some, some capacity of ministry. And now they're at odds. And their ministries are breaking down. And, and Paul so badly wants them to reconcile. And, and what's the way forward? And, and so key words like humility uh, go a long way. Um, forgiveness. Uh, living like God wants us to live. Encouraging one another. Comforting one another. Being sympathetic to one another. Uh, having the same mind as God, loving as God is loved. But then he goes in verse 5, and, and again we have this, this call, this exhortation, this teaching, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, sometimes people do things that, we, that seem strange or odd, or sometimes they act in certain ways and we say, what are you thinking? Why did you do that? You know, when you have teenagers in the house, sometimes, why did you do that? What, what were you thinking? They go, I don't know. <laughs> but thinking, uh, have the mind of Christ. What was in Jesus' mind? What was his attitude? What was his outlook? What was in his mind when he descended from heaven to earth? What was his hope? What was his, his mission? We're to have it. We're to copy it. We're to obey it. We're to, to follow it in our interpersonal relationships. Man, relationships that are selfish and self-centered, they're always uh, full of strife. It's relationships that you have with people that it's, it's a me grasping, a me taking, I'm using you for my ends, my ego, my pride, my glory, that doesn't last. It doesn't work. Certainly doesn't work in a place like a church. Right? Where you have so many options to go other places and so many options. I'm just not going to go to church today because I might run into her. I'm not going to go to church today because I might run into him. And it becomes about me and my, my protection and my safety. Instead of a self-giving, self-pouring uh, out for the benefit of others. Uh, Paul, the gospel, the spirit calls us today to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Uh, notice in the text in verse 5 it says Christ Jesus. And I think that's sometimes Paul does that. Uh, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the king, the Lord. Uh, sometimes he puts in, in, in Hellenistic places, in Greek places, sometimes it may sound like a, a, a proper name, Jesus Christ, like a last name. But he puts the order in such a way so you'll know uh, who this is who humbled himself. He's the king. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. 
who is promised, Christ Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. The Messiah, the King who came to save, the, the Savior of the world. What did he do? How did he live in his few short years? Uh, verse, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, uh, the morphe of God, the, the nature of God, uh, Jesus was always God. He's always been God. He always will be God. There was never a time when he wasn't God. There will never be a time when he's God no more. He's always been God. In heaven, from eternity to eternity, in eternity past, God was Jesus. The Trinitarian uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we bog boggles our mind. Three in one. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. He was in the form of God. The nature of God. The morphe of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man. Wow, that's some deep waters to wade through. Uh, he did not count himself uh, uh, as, as needing to grasp uh, the worship of people. He, did, he didn't count himself as needing to grasp the praise of people. Oh, Jesus, another miracle. You're so awesome. You're God. You're, you're so incredible. Um, the, the equality of God, he was always equal with the Father and the Spirit. In, in eternity past, eternity future, outside of time, he's always equal with Father and the Spirit. And they're one together. Uh, but when he came to earth, you know, for, for some 30 years, uh, nobody knew about him. For some 30 years, he lived in obscurity. Didn't do any miracles. He was a carpenter's son, a mason's son. Uh, did, did all kinds of uh, physical labor. Probably got all kinds of slivers, maybe some broken fingers. Who, who knows uh, the things that went on with, with being a carpenter. Um, different things happened there. But he was, he was invisible for some 30 years. And if he's, if he's grasping, uh, pridefully grasping a need to be worshipped, you know, he would have said, hey, look at me. Look at how great I am. Uh, but, but he never did that. And then the three years of his ministry, as he's doing miracles, as he's casting out demons, as he's rescuing people from, from death, from sickness, from evil, as he's pre preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God is coming. Um, what, what a time to maybe use his powers to force everyone to bow down to him. What a time to use his intellect, his, his speaking skills, his, his ability to move a crowd, to get people to uh, you know, look at him as, as great or special, as important. Oh yeah, you're just like God, you know, pridefully. But he never did that. He came as a servant. Uh, boy, in our, in our interpersonal relationships with people, sometimes we talk just to get acceptance. Sometimes we do things just to get loved. We feel a lack of love or we need acceptance. We need someone to, to cherish us or we need someone to applaud us or look at what I did. And so sometimes we manipulate people into applauding us. We manipulate people into giving us what we need. You know, it should be freely given by the church and by the family. It certainly is freely given by God. Uh, but sometimes we use people or manipulate people or cause people to exalt us. Oh, isn't John great? Uh, Jesus, uh, he didn't feel the need to do that. And he never did it. He didn't, 
grasp and force people to lift him up and make him equal with God in their sight. He's always been God. He's always been glorious. He's always been in the form of God. But during his passion on the earth, during his, his season on the earth, his journey to the cross, he didn't make it about him. Stunningly, uh, awesomely. But, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, the emptying himself, that's been a great theological uh, battleground since the 1800s. Uh, probably the 1860s, 1880s, there was a group of German theologians that came up with a kenosis theory. Um, the idea that when it says Jesus emptied himself, they said he, he divested himself of the attributes of God. He, uh, he stopped being God in some fashion. During his, his incarnation, he stopped being God, was, was their theory, was their idea. Um, the emptying was he gave up his attributes, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, all these things. He, he said, no, I'm done with it. And he, and he became this almost like the Jehovah's Witness kind of idea of, of a superhuman without the godly divine attributes, which is uh, completely false. Uh, there's so many levels to, to, to dispute that. Uh, you, you could read through the Gospels and see all the divinity of Jesus on display. Uh, he never ceased to be God. The emptying is very clearly uh, in terms of his role, his status, his privilege. Again, he emptied himself by doing what? It, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that he lost attributes or he became less than divine. He emptied himself by becoming a man, by taking on flesh a, a great condescension, a great humility, a great, uh, you know, kind of uh, vacating his, his, his position of pride and, and, and honor from eternity past, being worshipped by angels, by being the center of everything and the throne at the center of the universe. Uh, he, he, he became a man. And... Uh, from, from God to man, without ceasing to be God, what a great humility expressed by Jesus, uh, lived by Jesus, acted out by Jesus. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so we, we talk about the person of Jesus. Uh, there, there's been different errors throughout church history about the person of Jesus, but the, the biblical teaching is that in the person of Jesus, there's a divine nature and there's a human nature. Jesus came and he took on a human nature. He took on flesh without ceasing to be divine. He didn't give up his divinity to become human. He's fully God and fully man in the one person of Jesus. Which has the incarnation is what we call it. The incarnation of Christ, what we celebrate with the, the candles, the rejoicing, the, the celebration that God came to earth as a man. He took on flesh, but he never stopped being God. And this is very important on, on several levels. Uh, certainly don't have the time to go into it in a deep way today. But uh, there, there's, there's several places that uh, the incarnation plays out in terms of our experience in our, our worship, in our being Christians. Um, I don't think I have it on the overhead, but one, one that came to mind was John chapter 1, verse 18, speaking of 
Christmas and, and the life of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. Uh, sometimes we, uh, Jesus has made God known. The incarnation has made God known. Uh, sometimes theologically we talk about uh, God being infinite, God being holy, God, God being perfect, God being sinless. And sometimes we describe him in, in, in negative terms by what he's not. He's not sinful, he, he, he's, he's not limited, etc., etc. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he gives us a window to see God. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. What's God like? Well, Jesus is, God is, Christ-like. Jesus is God-like. And so, what does it mean that God is love? Well, you just look at Jesus and see how he loved people. God is love. You see it in Jesus. Jesus is a window to God. He's made God known. What, what is, uh, what is uh, God's mercy like or his compassion like? Well, look at Jesus and see how he treated people, see how he rescued people, how he's merciful to people. Jesus is God-like. God is Christ-like in so many ways. What is God's justice like? What is God's judgment like? Well, Jesus showed us in, in various places in time what justice looks like, what God's justice looks like. It just all the, all the attributes of Jesus are the attributes of God, but, but it's in the flesh. And so if you want to encounter God, you want to know God, you want to be, know what God's like, well, you encounter Jesus, you know Jesus, you follow Jesus. And you'll know what God's like because Jesus is God-like. God is Christ-like. The other, the other thing that uh, really stood out, uh, it, you know, there's so many things about Jesus' incarnation, the, the purpose or the outcome of the incarnation or some of the, the wonderful things about the incarnation is, is we needed a Savior, and the fully God, fully man, the one person of Jesus, he is the only one who could save uh, because of those identities. Uh, there, there's a, a 1, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, it's, it's a statement of, of truth about Jesus. Um, and it says this, uh, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Again, he uses Christ Jesus there, Christ before Jesus, to uh, emphasize his, his messiahship, his, his anointed uh, being, the, the king of the world. The, the one man, the king of the world, Jesus, the one who saves uh, in, that, in that text. He's the one mediator. Now, now if uh, Jesus was just God, uh, you know, could he, could he save us? Well, he could save us in a lot of ways. He could save us from drowning by snapping his fingers. He could save us from, from death, but, but we... Uh, could, could, could God save us from our sins? Um, certainly God could judge our sins. Uh, he, could, he could forgive our sins, but there needs to be some justice there. He needs to forgive justly. Um, if Jesus was just a man, could, could he save us? Uh, well, you think about a man. If he's just a man, he needs redemption too. So Jesus isn't just a man. He's the perfect man, the sinless man. But the idea of being a mediator is that uh, God and man, there's, there's a, in Jesus, there's a point of contact between God and God and in, 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 in mankind. He can, he can forgive, 
by being the sacrifice. He can be that mediator where he, he connects us with God and he connects humanity with God. He's, he, he can not just empathize with us, but again, sympathize with us because he lived the life. He knows what it be, means to be tempted. He can be that perfect substitute because he's a man. He can die on a cross for our forgiveness, die on the cross for our taking care of our guilt, paying our debt because he's the man. And because he's God, he can offer that sacrifice infinitely to cover billions and trillions of sins. He's the perfect mediator. So the, the incarnation, the, the, the fully God, fully man being one person, it has multiple applications, multiple awesome truths. But in the context of this letter, do you hear what's being said about how we should live as a church? Do you hear what's being said about how we should live as a people of God? If we want to have a healthy church, a loving church. Now, some, some people have come into our church and they haven't experienced love in, in terms of what they're expecting, especially second service. Man, we need to pray for our second service, uh, 1045 service, because sometimes that service, it, 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 people come in late and they're not connected and they're not, you know, there's not as much joy as in the first service. And sometimes those people come and like no one greeted me or no one, no one took an interest in me. No one reached out to me. No one like invited me to lunch or no one like cared about me. And the, this service is a lot different that way in, in, in many ways. But uh, sometimes our second service church uh, congregation, they don't feel the love for one another. They're kind of divided and they're kind of separate. They're living siloed lives. They're living separate from one another. And, and it's been that way for a long time. And I don't know how to fix it other than pray um, that there would be people of peace that come in and love the people that need love and, and care for one another as they, they need care for but you see here the, the example about being a loving church and about caring for one another. Put yourself aside. So sometimes I want to say to those people that say, I, don't, I haven't met anybody who's loved me. Well, are you loving them? Are you reaching out to others? Or as you as a, a believer in Christ, are, are you seeking others' interest? Are you looking to others to love them and serve them and bless them? Um, our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not demand people love him. He did not, uh, equality with God, he did not demand people, you know, bow to him, you know, and lay, lay themselves down to him. He came to serve. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful and incredible thing that the Christ would come to serve me, a sinner. He emptied himself by becoming a man. Like, he left his position of, of glory. He left the role, uh, you know, of almighty God, as it were. He left the status, the privilege, the honor that was his forever and ever and ever in eternity past. He humbled himself to become a man. The great humbling, the great condescension, the great coming down. Can't even, can't even, can't even understand it. Can't even put it into words. He became more than that. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow, it just, it just becomes more, more amazing. The high one, the exalted one, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he just comes lower and lower and lower to meet our needs. It, the contrast is incredible. The heights of heaven from eternity to time and space in a seven or eight pound baby and, and this flesh that it is with all of our limitations. And, and, and he didn't come to be exalted. He came to serve in humility. And his, his service was such that it took him to a cross. 
Now, the, the Roman cross was a place of the greatest uh, humiliation that the Romans could think of. It was a, great, it was a revolting death, a humiliating death, a, a horrible death. And it was reserved for the, the criminals, the, the murderers, the, not, the, 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 not the Roman citizens, but those who were slaves or those who were outsiders, those who were nothing. It was reserved to them to embarrass them as much impos as, as possible, to make them uh, suffer as much as possible to humiliate them. And Jesus went to that cross. <laughs> Incredible, awesome, uh, that way to serve us. Uh, but in, in terms of the Jewish world, to be hung on a tree, he went to a cross and he took a, a curse. He would, became the cursed one. If you, if you look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. And here's, here's the, the good news. Here's the gospel in, in a summary form. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I think that's from Deuteronomy 21. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So Jesus, you know, the law, the law showed us our lack. The law showed us our sinfulness. And the law, if it's, uh, if it's doing its job, it's going to curse us. It's going to condemn us. It's going to make us realize that we fall far from the glory of God, fall from the, the, far from the standard of God. We, we're not righteous as He is righteous. And so we're under a curse. In other words, we're going to be judged for our guilt. Our guilt is so great that it's going to be judged. We're going to be judged for our sin. But Jesus became, as it were, a curse for us. In other words, he took the penalty of our sins. He took the penalty of our guilt. He took the penalty of, of all of our wickedness and our evil. And he died in our place as our substitute. He died in our place as a sacrifice. He said, draw on such a stinker, draw on such an evil, wicked man. But I'll take his punishment. I'll take his, his, the, the wrath of God against my sin. Jesus said, I'll take it. He became, by, nail, by having himself nailed that tree, he took the curse that was mine so that I could live, so I could be forgiven, so I could be justified and declared righteous in the sight of God when I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Believe in Jesus for life because he's the sin bearer, he's the redeemer, he's the Savior. He's redeemed me so I could be reconciled with God so I could live forever as a, as a son of God. And it's a beautiful thing. So he went to the curse tree. Wow, God Almighty, if he could do that, if, if he could make himself nothing for the benefit of others, if he could uh, serve others who didn't deserve to be served, if he could, if he could uh, humble himself in that way and be others focused to that degree, who am I to say I can't? Who am I to say that uh, I'm too good for her? I'm too good for him. They need to serve me. May it not be, brothers and sisters. Uh, and, and you see again, like if, if, if you're serving me and I'm serving you, if I'm looking out for your interest and you're looking out for my interest, if there's a commonality of love, how healthy that church is. If we're all loving one another. Uh, our problem today is often we're so siloed, we're so separate from one another, we're so living lives apart from one another, we don't have the opportunity to maybe serve one another and love one another as we, as we should. Uh, God has given us the church as a gift for our blessing and for his glory. 
We're called to live life together on others-focused, humble service, love. And what, what happened after that is, is a stunning and amazing and, and awesome and, and righteous. It says in verse 9, uh, back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now again, Jesus had, in eternity, he had glory. He was in the form of God. He never ceased to be God. He never ceased to be glorious. But people didn't know about it. The world didn't know about it. There, there are hundreds of millions who have died never worshiping Jesus. There's, there's billions, as it were, that will be in hell forever because they've never become a worshiper of Jesus. They've never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They never exalted his name. They never celebrated him. They've never been in awe of him. They've never come under the reign of the king. They've never bowed the knee. They've never confessed his name. It should not be. But because of Jesus' passion, his humility, his suffering, his cross work, his service of us, God says, hey, the lowest of the low, you've, you've been there, you've done that, you've given everything for everybody else, and I'm going to raise you up before people. Jesus has always been exalted. He's always been God, but, but the, the teaching here is that at the ascension, Jesus died, he was buried, he was, on the third day he rose, 40 days later he ascended in heaven. Upon the ascension, God gave him the name above every name. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord of all. He's the Lord, the kyrios, that word, uh, the, the Greek word kyrios, it's, it's used to interpret uh, some Old Testament texts about uh, Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord. The Lord is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, the, the, the God of the Old Testament. And there's, there's texts that go into that, and I know I don't have much time, but look at this with me, Isaiah 43, or Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, uh, back down in 23. Notice how this, uh, this text um, let, let's start with verse 22, I guess. Uh, notice how this text in Isaiah 45 is speaking of Yahweh, but then in Philippians it's speaking of Jesus. Turn to me, be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Uh, the Old Testament, Yahweh, uh, you know, the progressive revelation, we learn more about the Spirit, and we learn more about Jesus in the New Testament, the Trinity. But uh, here God says, Paul's saying about what happened, uh, God is the ruler, the Father is the ruler of the world, and, and the Father said, I'm going to raise you up, and now you're the ruler of the world. You're the King of kings, and you're the Lord of lords. And in the Trinitarian essence of one, you know, it, how does that work out? We're not sure, but... Jesus is given the name. He's given the rule of the world. He is the Lord of all. And everyone should worship him because of what he's accomplished, who he is, what he's done. And uh, every sentient being, every being, every intelligent being around the world uh, in creation, whether it be angelic being or, or humanity or other sentient beings, beings that can have intellect and thinking, uh, every knee someday... Right now, every, every person, even in this room, if you're not a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the choice to willingly choose to bow the knee to Jesus and confess Him as your Lord. 
And we hope that if the Lord tarries, if he doesn't come back soon, that the gospel will keep going out and more and more people will turn to Jesus and be saved. More and more pe people will trust him as Lord and Savior. That there will be more worshipers that arise. Why does missions exist? Why, why does evangelism exist? Why do churches be on mission? To make worshipers. Worshipers of God. And that they become worshipers when they become Christians, when they're born again, and the Spirit comes and gives them life. Uh, we want to see more and more worshipers. But the teaching here is God swears <laughs> that uh, whether willingly or someday, maybe unwillingly, all the, the people in hell that have never come to him, all the, the demons that have always, always rejected him, all, if there's any other creatures out there, other beings out there that have not bowed the knee to Jesus, one day they will. The judgment of God on the day of the Lord. If there's anybody who hasn't confessed him as Lord, who hasn't spoken that you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my God, one day they'll be forced to. Because that's who he is. When he comes, when everyone sees him, when they're brought into his presence, there'll be this something that they can't help but acknowledge him as Lord. And that's our Jesus Christ. That's our Lord and Savior. The one who is and who was and who will be again, who is coming again. And so the, 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 his, 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 his condescension to his glory, and we're meant, Paul says, man, how are you living? If he did that, there, there's a parallel kind of thing. Don't you think that when he comes back and he lifts you up, when, when, when he gives reward, well done, my good and faithful servant, won't there be a parallel in some sense? We'll never be God. We'll never be on the same level as God. But to be raised to glory... Uh, there's, there's reward coming for those who are humbly serving others in Jesus' name. But the, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now much more in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. Christian, God has given you salvation. He's given you new life. He's given you the spirit. You're born again. Now, in the, that's, not the, that's not the finish line. That's the starting line. And so he says, man, work out your salvation now. What has God given you? He's given you life. He's given you hope. He's given you joy. He's given you purpose. He's given you meaning. He's given you everything. Now live out that salvation. Work it out in, in time and practice. Work it out in this place with these people. Yes, love these people that you're sitting with. Yes, serve these people that you're sitting with. Yes, uh, sacrifice for them. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about living as Jesus did. What does Jesus want for you now that you've become a Christian, now he's graced you with salvation? Work it out. Live it out. Live a Christ-like life. Um, and it starts with serving others and loving others, meeting their needs, taking care of them, Blessing them in Jesus' name. How do you have a loving church? How do we become a loving families in this church? How do we become a loving community? He's told you, oh man, what is good. Now live it in his name for his glory and honor and praise. Brothers and sisters, please stand in the presence of the king. Uh, Lord God, all praise and honor and glory to you. Man, that, to think that uh, you 
you came down for me and you came down for us and you came down to serve us as a bondservant. You, you willingly sold yourself into slavery, as it were, to take care of us and to meet our needs. How, how wonderful, how, how stupendous that is, how incredible that is, Lord. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you did what we couldn't do for ourselves. Uh, you set us free when we couldn't set ourselves free. Ransomed us when we couldn't uh, pay the price to get free from sin, death, or the devil. Love you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Give us the grace, Lord. Give us the power to be your church now. Uh, to the outsiders, to the unbelievers, to the, the earth dwellers of the world, Lord, let us love them and bring the gospel to them. But, Lord, may it start with our church that we would be this church that is uh, known for its love. Let all divisions and strivings and quarrels cease. Let all separateness and selfishness and pride and arrogance and uh, meism cease. And let us be a people that are truly loving one another. By your power and by your grace, may it be. Uh, Lord, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for letting us be the church today and worship you. Uh, send us out now into the world to be your people to your praise, to your honor, to your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless and go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.